Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. If you whittle it all the way down, it comes down to this. Something that I am willing to sin against God to have is an idol. Something that takes God off of the throne of my heart and this thing gets above God. God, I know you're supposed to be on the throne. You're supposed to be the ruling and reigning, the king of my heart. But I love this thing more than I love you. And so I will step over you to go get that thing. I will disobey your word to go get that thing. I will rebel against you openly to go and pursue that thing. That thing is an idol. Do you worship an idol? An idol is something that shifts some of your love from Jesus to it. Are you willing to sin to get your idol? In today's message, Pastor Bill declares that we have an idol if we are openly willing to rebel against God to gain it. Pursuing an idol involves disobedience against God and comes about subtly and slowly. A little tug on us here, a little tug there until we find our hearts bowed down to our idol. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus and give him all our love and devotion. He is certainly worthy of it. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Judges chapter 2 as he continues his message, Going in Circles. If they're going to learn to walk a life of faith, they have an opportunity to do it watching your life better than anybody else's. And as you walk with them and live with them, you have opportunities all the time to talk about them, talk about the Lord, share different stories and this, that and the other with them for them to see what God does in response to prayer because mom and dad pray. We pray and we wait on the Lord. And when God shows up, we can celebrate as a family that God answered that prayer. You have that opportunity with your kids. If you fail to do so and your kids grow up a generation that they don't know the Lord and not knowing the Lord is one thing. They don't even know what he did. That means that you didn't even share the stories. It's possible that you could share all you know your kids with the Lord, but they don't know the Lord yet because they're free moral agents. and They got to make a decision for the Lord. But don't have your kids grow up in your household. They don't even know what the Lord did. They don't even know the stories. They haven't, you know, at least give them that. Give, sew those things in that when later on in life, when they make the U-turn, it'll be clicking. It'll, it'll all come back to them. Uh, I've known kids that resisted the Lord through their junior high and high school and young adult lives. But mom and dad have been faithful to sew it in and teach it to them. And when that kid would finally come to himself and decide, oh, man, I've been tripping. I do want the Lord. They would come to the Lord, but it was like, boom, everything that has been sown into my life is, is still there. It would, it would come back. Thank God that somebody, and they had, the mom and dad had to sow it in faith because I don't see the result right now. It doesn't look like they're getting it right now, but I'm going to do it because God says, you know, train them up in the way they should go when they're old. They won't depart. So you just do it in faith. You do it in obedience. They'll come back. I call it the boomerang effect. I got one right now and I'm waiting for the boomerang to, to make its round. You know, you got to come back. We, if you do your part, mom or dad, sow it in there, teach it to them. And then you give them to the Lord. God, now I'm just praying. I've done all we could do. You know, we share it with them. We laid it out for them. We did the best we could to live it in front of them. And now we're praying that you bring it to life for them. You know, you pray for them and you keep praying. So the Lord brings the boomerang, come on back home and, uh, and you love on them and everything else. But as parents, right, we want to do this part. They failed to do this part. Why did they fail to do this part? In part, they were already compromising. They already had these foreigners around them. They already had people around them and altars that should have been torn down were still erected. And so all around them were people worshiping other gods and Ashtoreths and the different goddesses and whatnot that they were worshiping. They were already in a state of compromise so they didn't share with their kids. Now, 
it's like a double whammy, right? Now our kids are growing up in a culture that's pagan around them, and I'm not sharing with them the truth. It's a double whammy because I'm seeing this other worship, and I guarantee you that they're talking about that stuff. I don't know the other side of things. We got to be sharing with our kids. If your kids go to public school, even more so because they got non-believing teachers that are reading books that were written by non-believers that got fictional stuff that they're teaching as facts to your kids every single day. You better be at home making sure your kids know that this world didn't go boom and create, you know, that God created, you know, in the beginning, God. You got to relay that to your kids. And so when the teachers say something off, your kids like that ain't what happened. No, that's not how it went down. No, I know God did it. You know, you want your kids to know because you told them. I've told all my kids that, you know, some of your teachers are going to be wrong. It's okay. If me and mom said this and your teachers say something else, I'm promising your teachers are wrong. I had Harmony when she was in junior high. She was at a Christian school, but they had the wrong dude in the Bible class. It was the wrong guy at that time. But he said some stuff that was wrong. And I told Harmony, always be respectful, but don't ever bow. You know, don't ever, if you know it's wrong, don't, you don't have to bend because it's an adult, just respectful. So she respectfully was like, raise her hand. And she shared her disagreement and she gave verses. He shut her down. Then another young man, he raised his hand. He gave a rebuttal. And those two went back and forth. With, they gave verses. And the guy shut him down. He got upset and he gave him a demerit. So Harmony was hot. She ne- I've, never get, I've never had her call me from school. But she called me. She was like, Dad, this happened in the class. And, then, and, she's, and I'm like, she's like huffing and puffing. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to come up there right now. And I went up there and uh, the principal... He was my Bible college instructor. So any doctrinal issues have to go to him anyway. So I went to him and said, hey, um, this happened in your class. You might want to talk to these two kids. Uh, but it's a doctrinal thing. So your Bible teacher said this the kid said that. And, you know, they got demerits. The, the principal went and met with them. And I got called. That was on a Tuesday. I got called that Friday and they asked, they're like, hey, would you teach the Bible class for the rest of the semester? We moved this guy to music and uh, they're like, so I did it. I'm like, you know what? I'll take that on. But I was prouder. I'm like, you know what? You were respectful. You were obedient. You know, you had to like stand your ground. But she was right. What she said was right. We want to empower them with that. And if they're especially if they're in a public setting, you know that they're going to be hearing stuff that's bogus. Like I heard the teacher and I know what they said, but I know it's not true. I know they got that from man's books, but we read God's book at home. You instill faith like that in your kids. And so that's a parent's thing, you know, and, um, and you'd be amazed for you guys that got little kids. They believe what you tell them. You know, you tell your kids something. They're like, no, nah, my daddy said this. They'll fight tooth and nail. No, nah, my daddy said, you know, I like that. I like when I see kids that are like, you know, I'm, I'm sticking to what mom and dad said. Good. That's God's first leg of leadership in your life is mom and dad. And don't ever forget that parent. That What a privilege. One of the privileges of parenthood is God's like, you get to be the one to lead them to me. Well, you get to be the first people to share me with your kids. You get to be the one to exemplify it to them. You get to be the one to answer their questions. You get to be the one to, that they go asking questions back. You get to be, what a privilege. Every parent is like a pastor to your own little flock of kids. And you get to nurture them and feed them and nourish them in the things of God. This group failed to do so. It's going to have a ripple effect. Because they didn't share it with them, they're going to be more prone and susceptible to the, the enemy's attacks on them, to succumbing to idolatry and falling out of favor with the Lord, which is not what we want for our kids. We want to do our very best to set our kids up to walk in a favorable way with the Lord. Amen. Amen. And so moving on, it says in verse 11, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and they served the Baals. 
And they forsook the Lord of God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. Some people don't like to look at this side of the Lord. You know, God is loving and gracious. He's so kind and forgiving and merciful. All that's true. But did you read that? He's angry. What makes God angry? Anybody here in a marriage? It's a good to know what makes your spouse angry. Hopefully it's not easy to make them angry, but it'd be good to know. Like, you know, these things right here, this thing makes them angry. And if you're going to have a good marriage, you're going to avoid doing those things. The Bible's always teaching me about God. God says, look, they were bowing down in worship being these other gods. And it says the Lord was angry. He angry about this. I'm, these God's ticked off. They're worshiping. They're, his kids who he delivered, who he brought out, are bowing down at the altar of something that's not God. God said, that, that really makes me upset. And God's anger is different than our anger. Right. God's angry because what that means for them, that means they don't have the Lord and what they have is not real, won't help them. The enemy has his kids, angers him. Anybody here that's had your kids ripped off by the enemy? That's upsetting. You'd be angry at the thing. It might be a group of kids. It might be a person. It might be a habit. Angry at that thing. I hate that thing that's taking my kid away from me, from the Lord. And when God looks at the thing that takes his kids away, uh, it angers him. And so. What do we take from that? Um, I, this is the question that I would put to all of us, right? Are there things in your life? I'm angry that you love that so much. I'm angry that you, you bow down at that altar. Um, our idolatry is this, you guys. As we look at them here, idolatry was literally bowing down to images and fit figures and whatnot. Idolatry, if you whittle it all the way down, it comes down to this. Something that I am willing to sin against God to have is an idol. Something that takes God off of the throne of my heart and this thing gets above God. God, I know you're supposed to be on the throne. You're supposed to be the ruling and reigning, the king of my heart. But I love this thing more than I love you. And so I will step over you to go get that thing. I will disobey your word to go get that thing. I will rebel against you openly to go and pursue that thing. That thing is an idol. That thing has a higher position than the Lord does in your heart. If anybody has an idol, what do we do to idols? We destroy them. Repent of them, destroy them, cast them away. Don't let there be anything in your life that the Lord would look at it and say, I'm angry at that. I tell single people, particularly single people that are in relationships. If you got a, uh, a single couple, they're not married yet, but they're looking to get married. I warn them. I say, look, don't let this relationship become an idol. Don't want this person so bad or don't want to please them so bad that you'll sin against God to please one another because now you want the Lord's blessing on this relationship. If God sees that this relationship is stealing two people away from me, he won't bless that. He'll hate it. In the same way, though, you get a relationship with two people that are encouraging each other in the Lord. And God's like, I love that relationship, that he's helping her pursue me and she's helping him look to me. I bless that. Be careful that you don't let your relationships become something where God would say, I hate that relationship. I'm not I don't bless it. I hate it. It's causing them to go away from me. They love each other more than they love me. Don't let there be anything like that in our lives. Look at verse 13 now. It says, then they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Asterisk. Baal was a, a, one of the common gods that they would worship. We see this throughout Israel's history. The Asterisk was a Canaanite goddess that they would worship. Verse 14, 
And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of the plunderers who despoiled them. And he sold them into the hand of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. It's an interesting or powerful verse, right? Because of their disobedience, it says the Lord was angry with them. The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. That's Hebrew for like God was, he wasn't like a little bit, God was like, I'm kind of mad. He's like, you know, we say that today. Like, oh man, he was hot. That means that somebody was really ticked off. That's what it's saying in the Hebrew when it says the Lord's anger was hot. It was God was really upset. This is not a small thing. This is what God does in his anger. He delivered them into the hand of their plunderers. God said, you know what? To punish you guys, those people that are coming to plunder you, to take, you know, to rob you, I'm going to let them pillage you. I'm not going to defend you. I'm not going to protect you because you didn't obey me. I'm going to let you deal with the result of what you've done, what you brought upon yourself. And then it says they despoiled them. Right. When Israel won battles, they took spoils from the enemy and they had spoils. God says, now everything that you won when you were walking in obedience, they're going to come take it from you. You're going to be despoiled. Everything that you won when things were good with us. Now that things aren't good, I'm going to let them come take it off from you. Isn't that what happened to the life of the person that backslides and goes back from the Lord? Everything they gained when they were walking with the Lord, freedom over sin, joy, just a right standing with the Lord, power, spiritual life, all these different things that God brings upon a person's life. You go compromise. You go fall back into these traps and you'll find it feels like everything got taken away. And I've seen people that feel like, man, I lost everything. Things are so great over here and then I lost it all. That's what happens to them right here. Everything's just stripped away. They're despoiled. They lose the things that they won earlier in victory and it says that they couldn't stand before their enemies the only way that Israel could stand before their enemies was when God was with them God was fighting for them but because God's not with them God says I'm gonna let the enemy have his way with you for a while that happens too um, sometimes in God's discipline God was you know what I'm gonna let you have what you want I'm gonna let you have what you want until you get sick of it We've, we some of us have seen that happen to people where you know I, I hate to see somebody battling or struggling just being whomped by their sin but there are times where I look at it and I say, you know what? This could be the Lord saying, no, go ahead and have your fill. Go, go ahead and do enough of this until, you know, like when they had the quail, until it's coming out of your nostrils, until you're sick of it. Then I'll have something to work with. Then there'll be brokenness again. I don't know if anybody here has ever come to the point where you're sin, where you were sick of it. Just couldn't stand whatever it was anymore. God wants us to be there. You know, and God says, I'm going to let them despoil you and plunder you until you guys are sick of it. Verse 15, it says, whenever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. So whenever they went out, it wasn't just like random happenstance. It says God's hand was against them whenever they went out. God made sure every time they went out, it didn't, it didn't work out. Things didn't go well. In the same way that God can be with you and just cause things to be smooth and his hand upon you and his blessing with you. God says, in this case, my hand was against them. And so whenever they went out, just I let calamity fall all over them. I let them reap what they have sown. Verse 16, nevertheless, and this is an amazing, that means but, right? That means God saying, look, they messed up. I'm letting the enemy plunder them. They deserve what they're getting. I'm letting them reap what they sow. Nevertheless, God is so gracious. The Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. And in the midst of their disobedience, in the midst of all they were doing, God said, I, I'm still going to make a way out for them. I know eventually they're going to get sorry. I know eventually they're going to be broken. I know eventually they're going to come to a place where they say, I hate this sin that I'm doing. And God says, and when they get there, I'm going to have some people ready. 
I got some people that I'm preparing, these judges. The word judges means deliverer, right? I'm raising up some people, some men, uh, but there's a woman in the midst of these judges, and we'll see her when we get to her, Deborah, right? Guys, I'm raising up some specially crafted people that when you get to that place of brokenness, I got someone that I'm going to use. They're going to obey me, and I'm going to use them to deliver you, and, and you're going to get another chance to start free. Those deliverers would, to the New Testament believer, they would, Jesus is our deliverer, right? Jesus is the one who gives you and me another chance. Jesus is the one that when you get broken, when you finally say, I've had enough, God, I'm sorry. It's because of the blood of Christ that washes you and cleanses you, that you can be washed and renewed and have a fresh and a new opportunity to walk with the Lord. We don't want to squander that, you guys. We don't want to take it for granted. We don't want to miss out on what God has made available in his grace that you can have a fresh start. What some people have elected to do in their walk with the Lord is almost try to bring God along with the life of compromise. You know, I'm not fully committed to change everything. God will just have to accept me the way I am. He'll have to take me with all this baggage and junk. And so he just can come along with this life. And God's like, no, no. What I did on the cross is to enable for you to repent. I'll forgive you fully. I'll restore you completely. And we start over, but we're going for full victory, right? God's not looking for partial wins in any of our lives. In any of our lives, God's not looking to, I just want you to do a little better. God's like, no, I want full victory. I want to want the enemy. I want absolute victory in your life. That's what he died for. So for all of us in any areas where we're not experiencing absolute victory, we want to be dis, dissatisfied with that level of victory because God is providing for us to have total victory. We want to get that victory that he has for us. So moving on now, it says in verse 17, yet they would not listen. So God raised up these judges who would deliver him and says, yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way which their fathers had walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. Even though God would raise up these judges, it says they wouldn't listen to him. They played the harlot with other gods. That's how God viewed their worshiping of other gods. It's like, he's like, you're cheating on me. You're playing the harlot. You're going out after somebody else, but you're supposed to be in relationship with me. And it says they turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. And once again, as we read this, you know, the Bible says that God wrote these things for our learning. God didn't write this here so we could look at Israel and be like, they are messed up. Man, look at what they did. You know, that's not that we walk out of here tonight saying Israelites is dumb. And they just they just didn't get it. You know, I'm glad I'm not like them. We missed the whole point. We're just like them. I'm sure some of you are reading this saying, that's, that's what I do. You know, tell me, how do I get out of this? We, that's what we're going to talk about. You know, it's a, they're in this cycle of rebellion, punishment, repentance, a little bit of victory for a little bit of time. And then eventually it gets, you know, it's not enough for them to be victorious with the Lord. And so they eventually go back into the pattern of idolatry and then punishment and then they cry out and then victory through the judge and then a little time of rest and peace again and and then it lasts for so long usually it lasts the life of the judge that delivered them and then it just seemed like their natural bent as soon as the guy died is now nah, i'm gonna go back and do it again and they just would it's that was a cycle how do we break that cycle right for you guys here that would say you know what my, my walk with the lord looks like that i'll be doing awesome at periods of time and then i'll fall off and be messing up over here Eventually, I'll get sick of this and get broken and 
hear a message or maybe a time in the word or whatever, and I get broken. I finally just, I'm sorry, God. And, and Jesus delivers me and he forgives me and I start fresh and it feels great. And I'm back where I need to be with the Lord. How come we do it again? How come we, we jump off? How come we, we go back? I got a suggestion. Why for them the cycle kept happening? Why for believers today that some people seem to be stuck in that pattern, stuck in that cycle? God had a plan and a purpose for the people of Israel, things that they were to do. In the times of rest, they wouldn't begin to pursue what God had called them to do. There would just be a time of rest. Now we're resting. we got rest from our enemies. We're finally right with the Lord. Okay, we stop. They don't go back and say, you know what? What we were supposed to do in the first place was knock these people out. Let's go back and do what God told us to do. They never get back to what God called them to do. And so they exist so long in a time of rest. And then somehow they get lured back into the cycle again. What I find is many times believers will run through a cycle and, you know, finally get to a place where I stop sending with the thing I was doing over here. And I'm, I'm right with the Lord and oh, it feels good to be right with the Lord. Finally, and I'm, I just want to stay right here for a while. But we don't get busy. You know, God doesn't clean you up and clean me up so we can be clean. That God's not interested in that only. Right. God cleans us up and sanctifies us that he might use us. Nobody washes dishes at home so they could be clean. You wash dishes so you can drink out of a clean cup, so you can use a clean fork, so you can put food on a clean plate. But no one will wash dishes every day just so you can be like, oh, I got clean dishes. I'm, I only wash them because we're going to need them again in a day or two. You know, we wash them because they're, they're purposeful, right? God washes and cleanses us so that we can be useful. And there is something supernatural and awesome about getting back into a place where, God, I'm back in the battle with you. I'm back in the war with you. I'm back in that place where I'm, I'm watching you do. That was when Israel was having the most victory is when they were going out to war against the enemy. And God was like, yes, let's go. I'm with you in this thing. This is what you're doing right now is what I want you to be doing. We're going to have victories. You're going to take steps of faith. You're going to see the most have the most supernatural exchanges with me during this period of time where you're walking in faith. So in those times of rest, they never got back to a place of really pursuing God and faith and sense of adventuring your walk with the Lord. So for you and me, New Testament saints, what's that look like? Washed in the blood of the lamb. Everybody here that believed that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the grave. And as a result, God, we surrender to you as Lord. That's step one. That's, that's where everybody starts at. Everybody here humbles himself before the living God. And we recognize that we're sinners. God is a savior. Jesus is the savior. and He is forgiven and saved us. And we receive him. We start there. We recognize that he has power over the grave. He, three days after he died for you and for me, he rose in the grave and he conquered sin, Satan, and death, right? He did that for us. Then he gives us the Holy Spirit to live inside and God begins to sanctify. And so now the person just gets saved and it's like, man, I can't do that no more. Man, I really feel impressed of the Lord to stop, you know, using drugs or alcohol. Stop fornicating with my girlfriend or boyfriend. Stop doing this illegal thing for money. God's cleaning you up from the inside out. Now, after a while, not fornicating not getting drunk. I don't go to the club. I'm just clean. I'll go to church on Sunday, sit down, listen to the Bible study. Amen, pastor. Go home and live clean. That's going to get old. It's going to get old. It's going to get boring. It's going to be weak. And before you know it, because God made us with a sense of adventure, you're going you're gonna to be like, this is boring. I, I just want to go out. I was like, when I was, I was go out with my friends. It was like, woo! Something was going to happen, you know, because God made us for that. Satan was always trying to give you a, a rip off of what God gave. God wants us to be. So what's missing? You're not walking by faith. You're not attempting anything for the Lord. Now that God cleaned you up, when Paul got saved on the road to Damascus, you know the first prayer he prayed? 
Lord, what would you have me to do? That should be our prayer. God, okay, you got me. I'm clean. Got the Holy Spirit in me. I got this junk out of my life. Lord, what would you have me to do? Now I'm saved. Now you have my life. Lord, what would you have me to do? I guarantee you, whatever God would have for you to do would require you to take steps of faith. You've been listening to Pastor Bill Buffington on a transforming word as he teaches through the book of Judges. This was an interesting season for the people of Israel, being led by various judges as they delivered the people from a variety of enemies. You see, real faith lived out through these judges. There was much war and opposition going on, but God was faithful in delivering his people. Do you notice God's deliverance in your everyday life? He's aware of all that's going on, and He cares about bringing you out of those times of oppression. There's much more to learn from the book of Judges, and we hope you come back to hear what God speaks to you personally. If you missed any messages from this series, we encourage you to visit calvaryinglewood.org to hear more in Judges. There's also a free mobile app where you can access all of our messages too. Just go to calvaryinglewood.org. While you're there, you'll notice links to Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Feel free to explore our website and find other valuable information. We offer a daily Bible reading plan that you can look into as well. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. If you have any other questions, go ahead and call us at 310-245-4811. That number again is 310-245-4811. Well, that's about all we have for today. We're so glad you took the time to listen to Pastor Bill today in the book of Judges. We'll catch you again as we look into a transforming word. Transforming Word